Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today can be found on page 938 in your Bible. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hemmed in the righteousness so that justice is perverted. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm going to give to this complaint. The Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingered, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up and his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, and that can be found on page 1052. <clears throat> Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down here immediately. I must stay at your house tonight. So he came down at once and, was, and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. It is so good to be worshiping God with you all here at Sherman Street Church this morning. It is a privilege always to be in the presence of fellow believers who are faithful to God's word and also faithful to God's call in your hearts to love the God who made you and all that God has made. 
Will you join me in a prayer of illumination? Holy God, thank you for speaking to us through the gift of your word, through the gift of your son, through the gift of your creation, and through the gift of Christian fellowship. We pray, God, that your spirit will be present in and among us today, that you would speak through the words of my mouth, and that you would work in the ears and in the hearts of each person who is hearing my voice here in this space or in their homes or wherever and whenever it might be that they are listening. May your spirit move through your word in each of us. Amen. The book of Habakkuk is one of the short minor prophets. You could sit uh, and read all three chapters in one sitting. Maybe encourage you to consider that this afternoon. Um, it takes up only a few pages between Nahum and Zephaniah. And our lectionary reading today only includes eight of those verses, the first four of chapter one and the first four from chapter two, which you heard read earlier. If you have a Bible handy, whether in the pew or on a phone or device, I'd encourage you to open it up because um, as I prepared today, I took into consideration the full book of Habakkuk, and um, I'll be referring to it throughout the sermon. What we read in these short pages is a conversation between the prophet and God. And unlike many other prophets, we don't actually know who else Habakkuk is speaking to. Uh, many other, of the other prophets begin with, this is the the prophecy, the oracle from the prophet during the time of this king or that king. We really don't know a lot about who Habakkuk is speaking to other than that Habakkuk is having a conversation with God. And that this conversation was recorded and passed down because it held value for the people gathered to worship God. Habakkuk begins by looking around at, um, at God's people and seeing violence and seeing injustice. And he cries out to God, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not respond. God, I have some expectations of you that are not being met in the world around me. The conflict and violence that is happening amongst your people, it doesn't make sense because of who you are and what you have promised for us and who you call us to be. When are you going to intervene, God? When are you going to show up and put your people on the right path? Habakkuk is calling God to account. Now, we don't know how much time happens in between verses 3 and 4, but it doesn't seem to take long for God to respond to Habakkuk's cries. Because in verse 5, God responds to his cries, to his, his calls of violence. It's not exactly, I don't think, what Habakkuk was hoping for. Habakkuk, or God replies something along, along the lines of this. You're right. 
the people of Judah are not living the way I've asked them to. But if you think this is bad, just you wait. Because I am raising up the Babylonians. You know, those ruthless and impetuous people to the east who sweep across the whole earth and seize dwellings not their own. And when Habakkuk uh, refers to, or God refers to the Babylonians, in our Bible it shows up as Babylonians, uh, it could also be translated as Chaldeans. These are two empires at different time periods to the east of the people of God. The Hebrew word is Kazdim, which shows up throughout Hebrew scripture, especially in the book of Jeremiah, referring to powerful people to the east of the land of Israel, a nation that goes about and colonizes the world, exiling indigenous people of lesser nations. So that word appearing here in Habakkuk is not totally clear. It doesn't help us pin down when exactly Habakkuk is speaking because it could refer to either of those empires, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. But maybe we can receive it as a reference to the ominous possibility of a nation more powerful than ours who might come in and displace God's people. Whoever the Kazdim are, God says, I am instigating them. In the midst of the injustice and the violence that you're already complaining about, the people who you fear are coming and they're going to do much worse. They are dangerous. Their horses are faster than leopards. They are fiercer than wolves at dusk. They are going to swoop in like a vulture attracted to carrion. It's not a pleasant picture that God paints in response to Habakkuk's cries. Habakkuk is stunned. I think he was hoping that God would, would respond to the, to the violence and injustice happening within God's people, and God would work from within, would remind the people of who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to act, that God would, would speak to them, would talk to them. But instead, God is unleashing the Kazdim to punish the people? In verse 13, Habakkuk tries to make an argument against God, saying, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the righteous? Well, God, says Habakkuk, what do you have to say for yourself? Why would you punish violence with violence? Why do you allow bad things to happen to good people or vulnerable people to be exploited by the powerful? Okay, Habakkuk, replies God. Start taking notes. We're going to write this down on a tablet. We're going to keep it simple so that people can carry it and, and, and spread the word. The end is coming. 
And in the end, in spite of all the arrogance, the greed, the theft, the violence, the injustice, the exploitation that humans show towards one another, the righteous will live by faith. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as thoroughly as water covers the sea. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Yes, says God, what the Kazdim do is bad. But why would God allow them to, advance, to take advantage of Habakkuk and his people? In chapter 2, verse 8, God responds, Because you, Israel, you're not exactly an innocent victim. You have plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you. Remember all those people whose land you took, whose cities you raised after I helped you out of Egypt? Remember the fighting and infighting, the squabbling and quarreling and violence that happened between you amongst brothers and sisters, fathers and sons in the tribes of Israel? You have blood on your hands too. You have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Whenever and wherever one of God's creations, God's image bearers, does harm to another, the cycle of harm is perpetuated. Now, this conversation between God and Habakkuk highlights a question of causality. Why are bad things happening to good people? Why do the powerful exploit the vulnerable? And why does God allow it? The people of Israel have also caused harm, and now the Kazdim are coming in to do harm. This is an endless cycle for you humans. You're always looking for who's on top. You're always dividing the world into two kinds of people. Who's the perpetrator and who's the victim? And you blame other people and you hurt other people. And once you find your way out of a tough spot, you turn around and you do the same to someone else. And that has happened throughout the history of God walking with you as God's people. And it continues today in the day of Habakkuk, and it will continue to happen long into the future. These questions that Habakkuk is, is asking are questions that come around again and again and again. They're questions that we can and should be asking of God today. And God, who created the world, who sent, who, who chose a family to walk alongside, who sent his son through that family to live among us, to teach us a different way to be in relationship with the divine and with each other, 
that God invites us to follow in the steps of Habakkuk, to look at the world around us, to acknowledge the violence and the injustice that we see. And God invites us, reminds us that it is right to cry out to God. It is okay to ask God, why is this happening? When will you intervene? As we were reminded in Chris's prayer this morning, we cried out to God about the harm and the conflict. So much exploitation and dehumanization and violence, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, civil wars in Ethiopia and Somalia, Syria and Yemen, drug wars in Colombia and Mexico, terrorist insurgencies in Sudan and Nigeria and Burkina Faso and Iraq and Afghanistan, ethnic violence in Sudan and Myanmar. In the midst of that, wealthy people build their wealth on the backs of the labor of many. They consume more than they need, which speeds the, climbing, the change in the climate which in turn results in famine and flooding and forced relocation among the poor. Threats of political violence in our own nation become all too real, as they did in the January 6th attempted coup d'etat. And again, just this weekend, when someone broke into the home of Nancy Pelosi and assaulted her husband with a hammer. The law has been mostly impotent to hold police accountable for their brutality and extrajudicial killings of people like Patrick Leoya in the streets of Grand Rapids and countless other black and brown men and women in cities across the country. The Supreme Court is stacked and law has been made impotent by overturning decades of precedent that protected the vulnerable people and their right to vote, their right to privacy, their rights to self-determination. Closer to home, incessant bullying and personal attacks on denominational staff hired to fulfill Synod's commitments to creation care and social justice had to escalate to the threats of violence before they surfaced. The church order of the Christian Reformed Church was immobilized this past summer when those desperate to clench onto the status quo silenced the voices of those with different biblical and theological interpretations regarding human sexuality and gender. It's all around us, and we ought to be crying out to God. Like Habakkuk, we can talk to God. We can cry out and we can argue. We can say, God, you deplore evil. You cannot look upon treachery and exploitation. We can ask, when are you going to act in the face of these people who are corrupting the law, these people who are immobilizing justice? It is right for us to look to our God, our creator, and ask why, and ask when. And it's right for our creator 
to respond right back to us. You, you whom I love, you are my people, my creation, and you are part of the problem. You look outside of yourselves and you point the finger. And in doing so, you contribute to the division in this amazing and diverse world and human population that I have created to reflect who I am and who I love. You are part of the divisions that are keeping people apart, that are harming the land. You are caught up in the systems and cycles of injustice and violence. You gather and worship on land that was stolen from the Odawa, the Ojibwe, and the Potawatomi. Your denomination was founded by settlers from the Netherlands, one of the nations who profited the most from the transatlantic slave trade. Though you make strides to be open and affirming to the LGBTQIA community and to claim an anti-racist identity, those normalizing ideologies of heteropatriarchy and white supremacy, they still show up in your behaviors toward one another, in your decision-making, and even in your worship services. You drive cars, you use electricity produced by coal, consume plastic and eat factory-farmed foods. You're a part of a society built upon injustice and disposability. Simply living in this society is causing harm that is felt most among the poor and the vulnerable, the young and the old, the disabled, the queer. They get the worst of it. Habakkuk argues and complains and cries out, and God's response is, though it linger, wait for it. Though this violence and injustice lingers in the world, wait for the salvation that I am bringing. Wait for the liberation that is coming. Let's turn now to the New Testament text that Robin read for us. The story about a short man who wanted to see Jesus. So he climbed up in a tree. And Jesus saw him in that tree. And what he saw there was a person created in the image of God. So Jesus spoke to this person on the outside of the crowd. And Jesus said, I want to break bread with you. I want to sit at your table and build community with you. Meanwhile, the other people who had gathered to see Jesus, you know, the tall ones who didn't move out of the way so that short Zacchaeus could get to the front and see, they started mumbling to each other, complaining about Zacchaeus in a way not dissimilar to the way Habakkuk spoke about the Kazdim. To the people gathered there that day, Zacchaeus represented to them the occupying Romans who had swept 
across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. And Zacchaeus, this man was abetting, aiding and abetting the occupiers. He was conspiring with them against God's people, treating God's people like fish in the sea as Habakkuk had described in chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Zacchaeus represented the wicked foe who pulls up all those fish in the sea with hooks and catches them in his net, and by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. The people were taken aback at Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus because they thought Jesus had come to turn the tables to right the wrongs. And they were right about that. They were just wrong about how Jesus would do that. Because Jesus didn't come to make the outsiders insiders and the insiders outsiders. No, Jesus came out of his love for all of us. For the human beings caught up in exploiting others and those experiencing the brunt of that. Because we all need healing. We need healing from the harm and exploitation and trauma that, we have, that has happened to us throughout our lives. And we need healing from the damage that happens to us when we hate someone else. And we need healing from the idea that we are better than or more deserving than someone else. And so Jesus, who had spent time dining with and feeding the poor and the unhoused and the demon-possessed and the social outcast, also sat to dine with a man who had taken those people's money for his own gain and for the wealth building of the Roman Empire. And in the presence of Jesus, in that loving embrace as they ate food together around a table, Zacchaeus received healing, salvation, liberation. And that healing looked a lot like reparation. It looked like paying back more than had been taken because the taking alone had caused compounding harm. And in Zacchaeus's paying back in generosity, there was restoration in that community that day. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this household. For I came to seek and to save the lost. In liberating Zacchaeus from the system that had him participating in harm, Jesus also brought liberation for his taller but poorer neighbors. Siblings at Sherman Street, we have a lot to talk to God about. When we look out our windows or at our newsfeed, at our collective history, or at our own hearts. In all those places, we see cycles of violence and injustice. 
we see greed and bigotry, exploitation and inequity, and we ask, why God? Why do you let this happen? Why do you let harm befall us? And Jesus replies, I love you all. I want you all at my table. I want you all healed and restored and liberated from the systems that hold you down and the systems that shape you and tell you you're a better person than the next. And as long as we live in this world created by God but imperiled by sin, God's answer to us is, though it linger, wait for it. And through the injustice, and though the violence continues, we can join Habakkuk in saying, as he does at the very end of his short book, in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, Yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Yahweh is my strength. Let's pray. God, we've heard what our ancestors say about you, and we've stopped in our tracks, down on our knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as surely you must, remember mercy. You, sovereign God, are our strength. Amen.